Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I am your host, Andrew Sweatman, and in this episode, we are continuing season five of the podcast, which is Contemporary Asian Filmmakers. In the previous episode, we looked at Bong Joon-ho and his 2006 film, The Host. Today, we are moving on to his 2013 feature, which is called Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is a fascinating action film and Bong's first to be filmed primarily in English. It tells the story of a dystopian future in which all surviving humans live aboard a train called Snowpiercer, which is endlessly circling the planet. It stars Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt, Kang Ho Song, and many other pretty big names. I'm thrilled to be joined once again by Omaya Jones, film podcaster and programmer of the Arkansas Times film series. He's been with us all season long, bringing so much insight into these films and filmmakers. Omaya, how are you and what have you been watching lately? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I've been watching a lot less lately than I did sort of in the in the peak quarantine era mm, yeah. of the year, but... Uh, there are a few films that I watched that I think are worth mentioning. One is called The Loveless, which I think is the first feature film um, by Catherine Bigelow. And it stars, well, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> <laughs> the Loveless? I can look it up real quick. Well, I, um, it's 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 uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't believe I couldn't remember Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's this it's an '80s film that I think takes place probably in the '50s, and it's sort of this ode to those uh, biker uh, movies like uh, The Wild Ones or something, mm. where a group of bikers come to town and they wreak havoc. Um, I also watched a documentary by uh, a director named D.A. Pinnebaker mm. called "Town Bloody Hole" that was recently put on the Criterion Channel and recently got a Blu-ray release. Oh, wow. And uh, the the premise of the film is that uh, one night in the early '70s. Norman Mailer and then a panel of feminists got together to talk about feminism and like the, the structure of the event was that each of the women participants gave us a 10 minute speech and then Norman Mailer would ask them a question to ponder. Um, and then, it, and then they would respond to his questions uh, and his attitude. He's, he's very much patronizing and uh, very chauvinist. Hmm. Uh, but the story of the film is that, they they filmed this really without um, clearing it with anybody. So Dave Pinnebaker was working with Norman Mailer, and they agreed to film this, but they didn't tell any of the panel participants. And so the the way the story goes is that he was running around with, uh, with his camera crew all night trying to avoid security. Wow. Uh, before things sort of settled down, he was able to film it. But then the film reels set in his studio for several years until uh, Chris Hedegas, who he would later marry. Um, came to apply for a job and then she was going through uh, just footage that he accumulated and found this and thought it was <laughs> worth doing. So she wow. edited it together um, and then they put it out. Uh, and yeah. Wow. What was the title of that again? Town Bloody Hall. Town Bloody Hall. And that's on Criterion Channel. Mm-hmm. Yes. That sounds very interesting. I highly recommend it. It's only like 82 minutes long. So it's not a huge commitment, but yeah. it is a fascinating document. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I, I love a, a nice short movie, too. Yeah. Actually, just Season of Life I'm in with two kids. I frequently, like on Letterboxd, I'm like, 
Okay, let's sort this by time. How much time do I have? So I actually really do appreciate that because uh, being pressed for time and loving movies sometimes are challenging uh, to go together. But that sounds really interesting. Um, I've watched a couple of things. Did I talk about devs on here with you, the show devs? I don't think so, no. Okay. I I mentioned it, I think, last season. I'd started it and I finally finished it. Um, this is Alex Garland who directed Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation and also was a writer for um, Never Let Me Go and I believe Sunshine, that uh, Danny Boyle film. So quite a sci-fi mind. And uh, this is a TV show for FX and I really liked it. I finally finished it. It's just a, it's a eight episode miniseries. And um, it is kind of about free will and um, I, I can't really talk about what the central conceit is without kind of spoiling it because it, over the course you kind of learn what it is gradually uh, but it's very um, heady and dark and moody and you know I think it's getting pretty mixed reviews I really liked it um, so I'll recommend that and I think Alex Garland is um, yeah I'm just kind of on board to to see whatever he does and uh, it's always been pretty fascinating to me so I'll recommend devs um, and then I watched following which is the first Christopher Nolan film a feature from 1998 and it's pretty good. That's talking about short films. It's like 63 minutes or something. It's just, just over an hour, but yeah, I really did like it. It's uh, I mean, it's, it feels very lo-fi compared to anything else he's done. Uh, it's black and white. It's uh shot in like Academy ratio. So it's kind of, um, you know, square almost. And it's uh, about a guy who he's a writer and he follows people to sort of draw inspiration for characters is kind of what he says at the beginning. He ends up getting mixed up with a guy who uh, is a burglar, basically. And um, in Christopher Nolan fashion, there's some jumping back and forth in time, and there's some twisting plot things that happen. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Have you seen Following before? Uh, I have. It's been a while, um, and I don't really remember much about it, to be honest. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> It, like I, I can understand feeling that way like it's it's not as memorable as any of his others um i didn't mean i can see that as in <laughs> you sound like you forgot it i mean like i can understand like that's probably gonna be the case for me too honestly but i did enjoy it like i i definitely like i think not as good as memento for looking at like his early stuff but yeah there you go i thought you know with his new one out uh kind of prepping for that and uh watching some some old Christopher Nolan thing. So I think the only other thing I haven't seen of his previous work is uh, Insomnia, which, you know, I think oh, yeah. is generally not a favorite among fans. So I, I, I do want to watch it, but um, I'm a fan of a lot of his other stuff. But anyway, following I thought was pretty good. It's also on Criterion Channel, and uh, I think it has a disc release as well. So there's some good special features on the channel you can watch there as well. All right. Well, without further ado, I guess let's get into today's movie, which is Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. 
We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine. And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. All right, let's talk about Snowpiercer. Uh, so, as I said, this is from 2013. It is uh, primarily in English. Um, I listened to an interview earlier today, and Bong Joon-ho said probably like 70% is English. There is some Korean uh, as well, and a few Korean characters. Um, but I think it's his first that's primarily in English, uh, although he had done something in Japanese previously, too. And so in an interview that I watched, he talked about you know the language barrier with that. Um, was kind of a learning experience for this. Um, but anyway, the, the film is, uh, it's a dystopian future. Um, as I said, they, they, the, the world is frozen. So I, I really like the setup of this and, and it, it opens with like news, um, audio clips telling what's happened basically to combat global warming. Um, the government has sent, uh, I guess the world government's kind of collaborated to send this, um, chemical into the atmosphere on rockets or something and it's meant to cool down the world they overdid it or something went wrong and the world is now frozen and almost everyone is dead um and the survivors live on this train called snowpiercer that is it's called that because it can bust through the snow and ice and it's going around the world and um that's kind of the, the general setup the train itself is divided it's a very long uh train with several cars the rich people live in the front and the poor people live in the back is basically uh, the setup. So it, it ends up as other Bong Joon-ho films um, are uh, about class and, and wealth gap and um, sort of wealth inequality. And so it's kind of symbolic of society. So I think it's an, it's a really interesting and creative um, setup. And within that we have uh, characters focuses on Chris Evans character, whose name is Curtis. And he is, um, he lives in the back of the train. He's a, a bit of a reluctant leader for um, a lot of the people there. They live basically in squalor. It's kind of industrial feeling. Um, and they basically dream of revolting and, and kind of um, getting to the engine at the front of the train and taking control of the train. Um, there's also, uh, they're strictly enforced with, uh, I guess, the police, military style um law enforcement who are very harsh. Um, Tilda Swinton plays Mason and she is um, sort of a, sort of a second in command or a higher up person. She's, she's always dressed very nice and she comes back and lectures them about their place in society and they, why they have to stay in this part of the train. And that's how the society has to work. There has to be a top and a bottom and all of this. And, um, so she's the villain character and, and basically it follows them as they do start a revolt and, and kind of traverse through the train. And that's, that's kind of the general plot of it. Um, it's, it's got some other things going on, but uh, I guess let's talk about those things. I thought it might be good just to first talk about the train itself and, and how it is a symbol for society. And there is so much classism kind of tied up in this story. Um, and, and also the fact that it is adapted from a graphic novel. So Omaya, 
have you how many times have you seen this film i'm curious and i understand you've read some of the graphic novel too so maybe you can talk about the relationship there as well yeah um so watching it for this was the second time that i'd seen it um i think i may have seen it I, i'm gonna say like i'm gonna say just the twice um mm. and, and i have read the first volume of the graphic novel i believe there's two volumes uh, and in terms of the specific plots it's very different but in terms of the themes, uh, it's, it's pretty much the same and with the idea of the various sections of the train representing different parts of class, uh, which is a th- something that Bong Joon-ho comes back to in his films a lot. Mm. Um, another film that I watched sort of recently was his first feature, um, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Mm. Um, and like it, along with um, Oakjaw to an extent and Snowpiercer, and Parasite are all dealing in one way or another with various uh, forms of class and like how society is structured around class and what that does. Mm. Um, And so with Snowpiercer, what we see is, of course, all the poor people in the back, the middle class in the middle. uh, And then even like as you get towards the front of the train and people become wealthier, um, what you'll you'll see these these different changes where like the windows disappear again, right? So there are no windows in the back of the train. There are no windows in the front of the train. Um, the color, the color, like the, yeah. the storytelling, the use of color changes were uh, on the ends of the train, there's sort of these muted color palettes. And then in the, with the middle class, you get these uh, brighter, more vibrant colors, a full range um, of, of colors are used in that section of the train. So that's interesting. Um, I, I I watched a like a panel from a film festival that Bong Joon Ho uh, did back in 2013, and he talked about um, just the challenges. So, so as as far as the color goes, I wanted to talk about the production design because mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, in the back of the train, it's um, it's very grungy and dirty. As I mentioned, kind of an industrial feeling. Uh, like all the people have like dirt on their faces. Like it's. Um, squalor basically and and as you move forward um it each train ends up having a little bit of a different feel to it and they like gradually get you know quote unquote fancier um and bong joon ho talked about making basically 26 different train car sets that to, to film on and um what a challenge that was to to keep things interesting and and also um just always filming in the confined space of a, a train car, uh, which does seem like an interesting thing. And it's, it makes for an interesting viewing experience too, that, um, you know, we look out the windows at some things sometimes, but we never leave this train. Um, and there's some interesting set pieces, like action pieces around that as well. Um, that some of which felt very graphic novel esque. I think, um, uh, there's one moment I really liked where they, um, they they have to go through each of these doors. So as they first escape the back of the train, they um, they let out Kang Ho Song's character, whose name is Nam Gung Min Su, and he is like a security expert, so he can break through these doors uh, and kind of kind of like Han Solo style can like hotwire them and, and open them up. And um, he's there with um, a family member who what's the um, character's name? That's the- uh, his daughter. His daughter. I couldn't remember if it was a daughter yeah, uh, or niece or something. Y- Yona. Uh, Yona. Yes. Yeah. And she um, has an interesting ability to to see slightly into the future or through the walls, or it's not exactly clear um, 
Chris Evans asks her if she's clairvoyant. And so there's a few moments where he's about to open the door and she knows what's about to be on the other side of it. Um, and that happens a few times. I thought that was set up really well because there's at one point um, kind of where this comes to a head. She's like, don't open the door. And uh, it's kind of this tense moment. Uh, suddenly door opens and then there's a music cue. And that's just a really odd scene of uh, these security guards wearing these hooded uh, masks that, that are just showing their mouths and they look like executioners or something. And it's really eerie. And I think that was um, a moment of the tone of this that I really liked. Uh, and and after I watched it, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, this was based on a graphic novel. That seems like maybe straight out of a comic book, um, that, that image of the, the security guards. But, um, yeah, there's some, some really well-directed um, moments like that that you know, he, he's good at building tension. And then there's a lot of action scenes, like fight scenes again, in this enclosed space, and it uses the light. Uh, there's a moment when they go through a tunnel, so it's just pitch black, and they have to stop fighting, except then there's some night vision. And so there, it, he throws a lot of really creative things into these action scenes. There's one um, where the, the train's on a big curve, and they're able to basically shoot their guns through the windows across the curve to the other cars of the train. I thought that was a creative touch as well. Um, and then there's like a, a school train car and we see children learning and then there's um, like a nightclub and um, some like spa kind of thing too and then of course we get to the engine room at the end of the film and it's got its own kind of design as well so yeah the production design I think is, is a strength of this it's really um, kind of diverse but it also uh, it all feels it's, it feels futuristic in a way but also um, grounded I think uh, somehow in reality but uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the production design other than that? Yeah. Well, so the first thing I would say is, uh, you know, you liken some of the action to something of a comic, but I would say that one of the differences is essentially what the, what, the, what he took from the comic was the concept of the train. And mm. a lot of it other than that is sort of his, of his own creation, right? Because the, the comic is not like an action book. By okay. and large. There, there's not that. a lot of like, yeah, there's no like, not a lot of combat, not a lot of guns and shooting and things. Um, there are a couple of action scenes, but it's nothing like the film itself. Hmm. Um, what I think is interesting about the production design is, so I think at the time this was like one of, if not the most expensive Korean production. And so it had a fairly large budget, hmm. but not necessarily a large budget for an action film. And he's talked about how, just how much planning and design had to go into the storyboards to figure out how are you going to, how you were going to design the train cars and what was necessary because there wasn't a, a lot of extra money mm. um, to spend on things that are cut. And so again, um, his process is to meticulously storyboard everything and then kind of shoot what you need. Um, and so a lot of that storytelling work is figured out in the storyboard process. Um, I also think it's interesting that the way, like the way the film is formatted, you know, it's a train. So, you know, instead of like parasite where uh, class is symbolized as up versus down, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Or the, um, here it's it's left versus right, and there are a few key moments in the, in the film where Chris Evans' character has to make a choice, and so he'll look to his left and then he'll look to his right, and that is sort of what propels the film forward. Hmm. And, uh, Tony Joe, are you familiar with Tony Joe? Uh, no, he's a video essayist, or he he was. Hmm. He stopped making video essays, I think, several years ago. But he made a uh, he had a video a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I've and seen uh, some of those, yeah. 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 So he he um talked about Snowpiercer and the left versus right thing in a sort of a, a shorter video. 
um, that I think is worth checking out. Yeah. But, um, and he likens it to almost like a video game, right? There's a, mm-hmm. in a video game, there's always a point like a side scroller where you have a choice to go left or right. Um, and, and, uh, Chris Evans in this film is always propelled right or forward yeah. because he feels like it is his job to be a revolutionary. Um, and the idea of a revolution is something that it's in the film. That's not in the source material. Um, yeah. That's one thing I did hear in an interview. He talked about, he said he literally went into his favorite comic shop and it's a French graphic novel. Uh, and, mm-hmm. but they happened to carry it only in France and Korea is what he said. And, um, he said he read the whole thing standing there in the comic shop and he was like obsessed with it. Uh, and, but then the, the one thing he did say there too, was that he brought in all the revolutionary aspect of it, that the concept was there, like you're saying, uh, but no, no revolution. And this is interesting because in the, the film, he talks about past revolution attempts and all this, um, so I, I did think that it probably had some action in it. So that was surprising to me, but that, that's all I know at this point. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the revolution aspect of it, I think is, is interesting because that's essentially the whole, the whole plot. He's, he's just trying to get to the, the front and, um, take over. It's not exactly clear. I guess the, the plan is to kill the, the driver. And there's an interesting kind of God complex that, uh, it sets up with, um, the engineer and he um, seems to people follow him as, as with a religious fervor and they almost pray to him. And then the kids sing a song about him and it's, it's an interesting setup. I really like Tilda Swinton's character. She uh, is kind of almost cartoonish, but um, of course she can pull that off because she's incredible and everything. She gives a speech early on about, uh, you wouldn't put your shoe on your head and, and, and again, kind of talking about the, the, the way society's meant to function. And if we don't all stay in our spot, then society crumbles. And, um, there was an interesting thing Bong Joon-ho said in this interview too, about the hand gesture that she makes like a turning, turning your hand, kind of like, almost like turning a sink on or something like that, that she does a few times. And then, um, and I, I didn't quite catch this connection, but it, it was made clear in this interview that, uh, well, I guess we're, it's going to get into spoilers if we talk about where that comes from. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask if you, if you <laughs> wanted to go into spoilers. Okay, because, let's hold off. I'll, uh, okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end. But yeah, that's an interesting thing that ends up having, uh, kind of a haunting kind of a resonance to it. Let's talk about the characters in this. So Chris Evans is the lead, as I mentioned, and um, I think he does a pretty good job. It's um, I, I mostly like Chris Evans in things, and um, he is kind of he, he definitely has a leading man look. And uh, in this, he's he's very kind of tortured, and we don't find out why until the very end. Um, but I think he he mostly carries this pretty well as the the lead actor. Uh, Bong Joon Ho talked about casting him and basically just having seen him, he kind of wrote him off originally as, you know, a Marvel actor, <laughs> basically it sounded like, and, and someone had to convince him, no, he's actually done a lot of kind of smaller indie dramas and things and saw him in some different things. And, and then, um, kind of okayed it and, and brought him in. But, uh, what did you think about Chris Evans in this? Oh, Um, I love him. I love Chris Evans. You know, um, I'm glad that his career sort of taken off. Uh, there was no. a period of time where there were these articles that he was talking about potentially retiring and things oh, no. um, before he was cast as Captain America and, and things sort of turned around in his career. Um, but he, I've always thought that he is an interesting actor and um, in that 
I don't want to, I don't, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but he's okay. similar to a Brad Pitt, right? And gotcha. that I think um, his body type sort of pigeonholes him right, uh, mm-hmm. to, to some extent. And it sort of, it, it, it characterizes the way you look at him. But I think he yeah. has more range than that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's different than he like surprises Brad, you people in that called, way. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's different in that people have called Brad Pitt a, a character actor in a leading man's body, and I'm not quite sure Chris Evans is a, is a character actor, right? Uh, but he has more range and depth than I think you would um, think just if you were just to look at him and his physique. Um, and Bong Joon-ho talked about how when they cast him, one of the hardest things was covering up all of his muscles because he's supposed to be this guy from hmm. the back of the train. He was sort of emaciated and not, yeah. not properly malnourished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like, they had to like hide all of those muscles under like clothes <laughs> and things. Um, That's funny. But yeah. And I also like, you know, shout out to Chris Evans. I think a lot of times with some of these movies that maybe on paper are riskier, Mm-hmm. it's always good to have star power, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, like he's doing the same thing that like Robert Pattinson or uh, K- Kristen Stewart does where they're using the fame that they acquired doing huge mm-hmm. uh, tentpole films to get funding for um, either indie art house stuff yeah. or in this case, um, a Korean director doing um, a big budget English language movie for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, like how many people were scrolling through Netflix and saw Chris Evans and thought, oh, this sounds interesting and like would never have watched a Korean director's film, you know, but because Chris Evans is there. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's that makes sense. The That contradiction in sort of physical form and, and what you would expect him as, as an actor, that reminds me of something um, this kind of off topic. But on a podcast I heard talking about... Uh, another actor with a similar kind of dichotomy or a different kind of contradiction and in, in what you would expect is uh john c Riley. i thought that was mm. interesting because he's like a big kind of bulking guy but he always plays sort of a uh this was on the the podcast film spotting that i listen to a lot that he always plays um someone who feels inadequate or um think about like his character in chicago or um a lot of different things he's done to the sisters brothers he sort of has uh this hulking form, but this kind of gentle, um, and, and like maybe he doesn't feel like he's as masculine as he should be. Like that's anyway. So that, I think that's interesting. I like actors that, um, that kind of can play with that. And I think you're right that Chris Evans has that as well. Uh, he, he does, um, like he cries in this movie. I think that's, uh, an interesting thing that Bong Joon-ho actually brought that up in, in this interview as well, that, um, he, he wanted someone who could kind of push that, but also, have the action action hero kind of chops um i really like i'll say one more thing about chris evans <laughs> I, I really like him in um scott pilgrim versus the world <laughs> the super different kind of character <laughs> but he in that he plays this like skater bro and he's just really funny so like he he really has some good comedic chops and then like knives out we see the comedic side of him uh big time recently in that one but um but yeah he 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 can do really well the dramatic stuff as well you're right um, let's talk about Tilda Swinton uh, again. So I, I mentioned that she kind of plays this cartoonish, um, seemingly cartoonish character. She has these glasses that kind of magnify her eyes and, um, she's kind of prim and proper amidst all this. She's in the back of the train where everything's really dirty. Um, 
but her character's name is Mason. And um, Bong Joon-ho talked about um, meeting with her and wanting to work with her, uh, but not having a part for her in the script he was working on, which was Snowpiercer, and realizing that he could uh, switch the gender of the Mason character because it was originally uh, a man. And it's like, oh, Tilda Swinton can actually do this really well. <laughs> and, and Tilda Swinton has a certain, uh, in some things, a certain androgynous character. Like she's played male characters before. Um, so I think she, she's probably the perfect person to to play that um, kind of a, a role. And it, it is interesting because I got a sense watching it. It's like, it's interesting that um, this woman would, would be part of the, the higher ups in this train. Cause it does feel like, I don't know, patriarchal in a way. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that somehow wasn't surprising to hear, but it was really interesting that that was how that character came about. Uh, what, what do you think about Tilda Swinton in general? Are you a fan of her? Yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tilda Swinton. I want to give a shout out to a film that's coming out on Blu-ray on October 6th that she's okay, in. Okay. I first saw it, um, I think my senior year in college, uh, for a class called Digital Art and Culture. It's called Technolust. Uh, Technolust. And, mm-hmm, and Tilda Swinton plays a computer programmer who is working on uh, a project that results in creation of a computer virus where four Tilda Swintons... Um, or maybe it's three and maybe it's three Tilda Swinton's. And then, then there's the computer scientist, which is her. So that makes four, but they come to life into the real world and, um, they start spreading a technological virus to humans. Um, and it's a very strange film, but I love it. Um, <laughs> also like that, uh, Orlando, I don't know if you've seen that where she plays, um, like a 16th or 17th century nobleman who then becomes a woman and it's sort of this exploration of sort of uh the way your gender defines your roles in society hmm. um and you know she ends up and that, that character Elena ends up living for like 200 years and at the end of the film uh she's in the 20th century uh and so she wow. makes all of these wonderfully strange films yeah and then like in the last i would like i would say 15 20 years since uh the lion the witch in the wardrobe <laughs> she sort of burst into the mainstream but she still is able to maintain like this dual career path of like strange, really strange stuff. Yeah. And then uh, more mainstream uh, fair. And she's like, I don't know. She's a, she's a fantastically wonderful uh, actor. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, she makes any movie worth seeing because you never know how she's going to approach a character or a role. Yeah. I'm looking at her IMDb. Yeah. I forgot. Like she's in the Avengers. She plays a pretty big character mm-hmm. and then Dr. Strange. Um, but yeah, she's also in yeah so many odd things. Yeah, there's a, a David Bowie video it's before David Bowie died where there, I guess there are a couple of, it's not quite clear, but she's made up to look exactly like him. And it's really interesting. They're, they're like sitting on the couch in matching outfits. It's such a weird video, but I love it. And then, uh, yeah, so she's just, she goes there into some odd places, uh, with a lot of her, her characters. Oh, and I think about her in Grand Budapest Hotel as well. She plays mm-hmm. like a really old woman. He's, she's made up to be like very old, and uh, she's really funny in that too. Um, yes, Tilda Swinton is great, and then so her character in this, um, they she's taken hostage basically towards the beginning, and as they are moving up the train, um, they have her handcuffed, and um, she kind of helps them out it's it's a kind of an interesting relationship because you kind of grow to like her a little bit at least i did um and uh even though she's pretty (laughs) hateable at the beginning of the film and i think that's another thing that like she could pull that off as an actor but 
Um, so yeah, I mentioned uh, Kong Ho Song as the the security expert, and he's interesting too. I, I honestly didn't recognize him at first. It took me a while to realize. I was like, I thought Kong Ho Song was in this, and I was like, oh wait, that's him this whole time because he has this kind of greasy hair, and he's um, he's playing, I guess, against the type that I've seen of him do. I know he's in lots of things that I've never seen, but he's kind of a angry and um, sullen a lot of the film and um, collecting uh, this drug. So there's this drug that many people on the train are addicted to primarily wealthy people um, because they can afford it, I guess. Um, And it has an interesting name. I can't recall the name of it right now. Do you remember the name of that drug they do? Mm, It's like Kronos or something. Yeah. Something like that. So it's with a K Um, and they, uh, they are working for that so like the the more they open the doors the more they earn of that um that drug uh, he and his daughter and it ends up having a sort of interesting thing as well but they when they get to a a nightclub towards the end everyone's on this drug and everyone's kind of strung out and it's um it's an, an interesting plot element um but I, I think I, I keep wanting to talk about spoilers. Maybe we should go ahead and... Is there anything else like not spoilery you want to talk about with this film? Because <laughs> I want to talk about his arc a little bit, but it gets into the ending of the film as well. Yeah, I think we should dive into spoilers because uh, there's... Like, the, the only thing I think to say about his arc that maybe not is... No, it is spoilery. Let's just... Let's just <laughs> spoilers. All right, spoiler alert. Go watch Snowpiercer if you haven't. Um, I think it's on Netflix, so it's pretty easy to get to. But um, yes... Uh, so let's keep talking about his character. But so, so Bong Joon-ho in this interview said that um, the Kang Ho Song character is sort of uh, his mouthpiece in the film a little bit because they um, they get to the end of the train and um, Chris Evans wants to, okay, let's go in and meet the engineer and, and take over. Um, but he says, no, we need to leave the train. Uh, and it turns out the drug they've been collecting this whole time is an explosive. So they have a huge amount of it and they've built a bomb out of it. They want to blow the side of the, the train open and escape into um, the frozen tundra. And he, he is fairly certain he has a theory that things are warming up and it's livable again. And so if, if we're looking at the sort of the train as a symbol for society uh, and looking at the class structure, um, that would seem to say that Bong Joon-ho is, is saying, okay, here's here's the train, here's how things are working with um, upper class, lower class, middle class, and um, where capitalism has gotten us basically, and, and saying uh, maybe we need to throw that all out and try something else, like let's leave the train, whereas no one else even sees that as an option and thinks uh, he's crazy for even wanting to um, to set foot out outside. Um, so yeah, I think that's an interesting uh the way that plays out was not what I was expecting. I could, there was, um, I wondered if we would ever leave the train and, and we don't until like the very, very final moments. Um, but yeah, what were you going to say about something spoilery? Well, I mean, I just, it's the way that throughout the film, every, everybody else is concerned with whether they should go forward or backward. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, his characters are very much concerned with what's going on outside of the train. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not about forward or back. It's about going outside of this environment. Mm-hmm. And so like his character is the one where it's almost like he's saying um, the sort of class struggle that you guys are concerned with. is not the real issue. Like we can all just leave the train. We have yeah. there's another option mm. right besides the train. Um, and so like there's a scene where they they go past a spot where he knows people who left the train and tried to, to, to trek out of it are frozen. And he notices just that the snow has melted the position mm-hmm. is different um you used to be not, not be able to see all of them you can see more of them now 
Um, and so like, he's very much attuned to what's going on outside. And if you notice uh, in the, the school scene, right. Where they're learning propaganda essentially in yeah. that car. Um, but throughout the film, he's sort of teaching his daughter who's a train baby because she was born in the train. So mm-hmm. you call them train babies. And he's teaching her about the outside world. So he shows her dirt. He, uh, he's telling her, uh, just how things work on the outside, how to grow food and things so that she has this information once they're no longer trapped in the train, because that is always his goal is to get off of the train. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. That, that, um, makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that, yeah, that's so like exiting the train is like the, the final out at the end is, is kind of a cool way to, to kind of break out of, I think the, the, the plot that's been going, um, they they end up getting so let's talk about that gesture i guess so the mm-hmm. the kind of hand turning gesture we learn is um that there's a couple of children that have been taken from the rear of the train at the beginning we find out that they are being put to work in the most dangerous part of the train they're the only ones small enough to fit in this crawl space and turn this certain crank all the time and so that hand gesture um is meant to and we see the engineer does this as well is meant to symbolize we all have our place, including child labor, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's sort of a big symbol of like just how messed up this all is. Um, and the engineer is interesting too. It's Ed Harris, who um, he's, I think, got the right presence for uh, sort of the the person we are. We're kind of there's some expectations about who's this who's this engineer going to be, and I think he does a good job. And I always think about him in um, the the Truman Show, kind of playing a somewhat similar character a little bit like in charge of things but he again also has like a sort of a he probably has a god complex um but as in charge of everything and he he speaks about the way things work with uh with like a religious fervor and with a certainty that nothing will ever be different than this um which is another i guess clue that that something could be uh, that, that they could kind of defy that uh, what, what do you make of that that kind of final scene with uh, in the engine room? So I guess so. First, I want to go back to the Tilda Swing character. Yeah, I yeah. Guess is I, like I always wonder is, is the implication there that she came from the tail section, or did they just used to take children from the middle class section? Um, because to me, the implication is that she was once when she was a child and she was small enough that she oh that was her job. Yeah, I, I guess like that's that's how I read it. Um, hmm. Um, without sort of trying to do the math in terms of like how long they've been on the train and how old her character is supposed to be. Um, but I wonder if like, you know, once you get old enough. Um, so graduate into you, high society. A right. little bit. Like your, your reward for that, for doing that job as, as a child is to sort of become at least middle class or upper middle class or something. Interesting. Ed Harris's engineer character, I think is, where the movie starts to fall apart for me is yeah. that when the, the characters who are sort of just speaking in, um, in like ideology, right? Yeah. They're just, mm-hmm. they're just, they're just sort of speaking, they're speaking theme. Uh, yeah. and that, that I think one of the critiques of the movie is that it's too on the nose. Yeah. Um, and I think those kinds of things are like where that starts to fill it real to me i wasn't really moved by the speech um or the, like the dilemma of the chris evans character necessarily at that point mm-hmm. um something about the end of the film just always falls flat for me yeah 
Uh, I want to agree. And, and so I was going to say that um, so we typically don't do a ton of like a review kind of talk on this podcast, but um, this is a movie too that I didn't quite connect with. And, and we kind of talked about that the other day as we were texting. Um, but yeah, so as far as I, I, I think I overall would say I enjoyed this and I'm glad I've watched it. And I think it has so much interesting stuff in it. Um, but for me, it, yeah, it wasn't quite the emotional experience that the host or parasite was. Uh, and I think there's a few reasons for that. I think what you're talking about where, yeah, at the end of the, the dialogue gets so yeah elevated and, and ideology laden that it's, um, it kind of loses believability. And I think there's some of that even from the beginning. Um, I, I think too, that I didn't have a real sense of character really for Chris Evans, especially at the beginning. And you kind of have this sense that he has a, a secret and we don't learn what that is till the end. And basically there's, um, early on in the early days of the train, there was cannibalism and he, um, didn't do enough to stop that from happening. Essentially, that's kind of the short version. And he has this long speech explaining all of that. I think that speech too, the the writing just didn't quite, it wasn't, didn't quite pull me in. And, and I, I maybe by that point I was kind of at a, at a distance emotionally from it so that it didn't uh, kind of hook me back in. But I don't think it was as much Chris Evans fault as it maybe was the script. Um, but, but I think that kind of gets to the overall issue for me, I think is the tone of it. It's kind of, it's hard to say whether we are in like a, it wants to be grounded and also kind of fantastical at certain moments in a way that didn't quite mesh for me, which is interesting because in, in the host and in parasite, that's something I've praised specifically is the mixing of tones. But in this, it just didn't quite, uh, quite work. So we have like the school car scene, um, where we have almost this like absurdist feeling the, the way the characters are talking to each other. And that just doesn't mesh with the, the, the back of the train. We're trying to be so uh, gritty and, feel kind of realistic. Um, so yeah, I think for the, for those reasons, like it kind of lost me along the way. And then I think some of the action scenes didn't quite, uh, it gets a little repetitive too, which I mean, mm-hmm. it's all in these enclosed spaces. So that's, that seems like a real challenge to, to not make it repetitive. Um, and, and some of the production design, like, so I, I really liked production design in general, but then some of the moments at the end, like, the nightclub scene and then right before the engine car there's like the, the the room with all the kind of grinding gears and i was like okay someone's definitely gonna fall in there <laughs> but um i don't know i just didn't that that sequence from the nightclub to that moment to, to, to that that area it kind of got too out there for me which i don't know it's a weird kind of criticism but it almost felt like um the fifth element or something <laughs> like mm. where it gets it's so um kind of gonzo that it, it just doesn't he doesn't match everything else i guess is the issue but again i really am glad i watched this and um I, and i i think bong joon ho is a, a filmmaker who I'll, I'll take a chance on yeah so w- what other issues do you have with the the film I think everything you said about the Chris Evans speech at the end, I think is why I, the first time I saw it, I didn't necessarily care for it. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it again though. Um, I guess instead of issues, I, I will, I will, I will praise the movie in some, in some sure. respects. like uh, some of the action scenes, even though some of the action does get repetitive once they get towards the front of the train and it's just sort of, uh, it just becomes a chase. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the blackout fight where then they call for fire from the back of the train like that. Yeah, that is that really was, cool. Yeah. Like I that, agree. that's like a super cool sequence. Um, even, uh, even though I think like the first, I don't know, 
20, 30 minutes of the film where it's all about when the revolution is going to start. It's kind of a slog for me mm-hmm. to get through. Yeah. Um, but once the, the, the action starts, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with the scene where they, they, they've connected a bunch of carts with wheels and yeah. they're going to wheel them through, uh, the, the doors to hold them open to the other parts of the train like that, I think is, t- is like just this top notch action filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and I think Bong Joon-ho does a lot, um, just to keep things interesting visually, like mm-hmm. even in that school car scene, even though it, it maybe it's a little over the top with the way, uh, Alison Pill plays that character. Yeah. Um, there's like lots of things happening. There's lots of camera movement. Um, like he really plays up just the insanity of that situation. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't want to sound like I'm too harsh on it. Sure. I think it is not, it's my least favorite Bong Joon home film that I've seen. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that I watched it a second time. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I can't, I can't see myself revisiting it again anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. Yeah. I wonder if a second viewing would, uh, ease some of that for me too. I think like, so yeah, I agree. Like once the, they bust through the door that gets really exciting. And, and as you're continuing to see more and more train cars and like what's outside of the usual environment we've grown accustomed to like that's really compelling is like well, what's going to happen next and, and it kind of keeps me going for a while um but yeah then it just kind of fell off for me again tone wise but um but yeah i still think it's such an interesting concept that there's so it, it's really thought-provoking even if i didn't love the execution of it yeah so there's our <laughs> tell us how you really feel <laughs> there's our opinions about this um but yeah, uh, let's see. Oh, another, this is another kind of quibble I had with it was, um, so yes, I love the, the blackout scene. And like, we, as I mentioned, when they first see those, um, those bodyguards with those strange hoods, um, and then like that whole sequence I think is great. And then that's at the end of that when they capture Tilda Swinton. And that was all really compelling to me. It got a little, um, I think for later action scenes. So I mentioned that scene where they're going around a curve and, and shooting across the train, um, I thought that was a kind of a clever thing that felt comic booky to me. So you're telling me that's mm-hmm. not in the comic book, but, um, re- really, I mean, I kind of got it in my head about like, that's too far away. Like there's no way <laughs> it just felt really unbelievable, I guess. Um, but then, so like, I just wasn't really loving that. And then, um, there's a, some fighting in like this kind of spa area where it's like, mm. there's a lot of doors and stuff. I don't know. It just it was not super compelling action for me past that that sequence you talked about. I was going to say, it's just challenging because, uh, so there's this quote where Bong Joon-ho was asked about the difficulty of shooting and tried such the difficulty of shooting inside such an enclosed space. Mm-hmm. And he, so he talks about how he and the DP started to refer to it as a hallway movie. Hmm. Um, and cause I mean, if you think about it, it you know, it is. Yeah. So not only does the left, right thing, um, work as a storytelling device. It's also something once you decide to set the whole movie on a train, you're sort of locked into, Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and so then the question is like, how do you do this to keep it interesting? And I think overall the film does a really good job of keeping it interesting, but there are just a few, there are a few times where it maybe either feels repetitive or in terms of the dialogue, it's too on the nose. But then again, um, when you, when you look at some of the discourse, maybe subtlety is overrated because hmm, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you, you got to really just hammer it home so that people get it. 
Yeah, I could absolutely see that. I mean, and like, as far as action movies, like as far as like bad action movies I've seen, uh, I don't think this is a bad movie at all. Like this has more right. creativity, you know, in it's five minute opening than, than some action movies I've seen in the whole thing. Um, and I'm probably too picky about action movies in general, but, um, but yeah, so I, again, I, I really respect this movie, I guess, and I, and I'm glad it exists and I, I do encourage people to see it. Um, despite those those issues it just was not to the level of the host or parasite for me uh and it sounds like not for you either but okay Omaya, you sent me a quote from an interview uh and i'm going to read it and then we can kind of talk about it um and it, it kind of gets back to that the the overarching theme of the train as society um so it says the train and snowpiercer with the rich living living it up in the luxurious front carriages and the poor subsisting in squalor at the back is a fast-moving metaphor for that very system uh, and then, quote, the train explodes at the end. The survivors must go outside. Now they are free from the train, but we don't know what will happen to them. So is he saying that this is what society should do, that we should blow up the train? And then the quote is, yes, he whoops excitedly. And then we all go outside and freeze together and die. <laughs> Which is a funny, a funny quote uh, there from Bong Joon-ho. So, yeah, what do you make of that? It, it, to me, it, it paints uh, the director as a, as a sort of a playful cynic. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe a playful pessimist because, uh, you know, he seems to be always, uh, in good spirits and he's a fun guy and creative guy. Uh, but there's, there's sort of like a, a nihilism, yeah. uh, embedded in there into his worldview. Um, and then I think even if you look at some of the, like the way his films play out, there's a question as to whether or not you can ever really transcend these class barriers. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and and I wonder to what extent his view is just that it, it's a constant struggle that you're always sort of fighting. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, you, we all die together. Hmm. I don't know to what extent that is supposed to be literally the end of the film, though. I I, I assume that. Yeah. Hopefully, they make it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So so that's interesting too. So like we we kind of noted in the host that at the end of that film, it's it's like snowing outside, which mirrors the end of uh, Parasite as well, um, and that's. Like, I don't know if, if I'm reading too much into to kind of drawing a connection there, but obviously there's a lot of snow in this as well. And, and I, for me, as I thought about like the, the symbolism of this film, it, it's sort of like outside of this is, is a frozen wasteland that like, yeah, this is all there is kind of thing. Um, and so I don't know if it's just pointing in the same direction saying in the host, um, I really think about it more with Parasite that at the end of that, it's, it's, it's cold and bleak. And the the way I read the end of that film, which I'll, I'll try not to spoil Parasite if you haven't watched it, but um, there's kind of a, an interesting moment there. And I read that as a tragic moment. Whereas I think there are other people who read it as, as just kind of pointing towards something hopeful. And so that would seem to fit with, you know, this cold and desolate world that we must you know, somehow live in. Uh, and so maybe that's, that's a, a recurring theme. And, and I guess, cause the end of the host is not really a, a super happy ending either. Like it's, it has its, its hope as well, but, um, overall I'd, I'd call it a pretty tragic ending. Um, despite the, the connections that are formed there, but yeah, I don't know if, if I'm, am I reading too much into that, but maybe there's a connection. <laughs> Perhaps I think I think of the host as being sort of bittersweet, though. You yeah. know, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, there's this familiar reconciliation that happens, and there's this child that is sort of saved, yeah, um, from abject poverty. Um, Parasite, though, like my re- like my reading of that is is very 
nihilistic and that, yeah. you know, well, I don't, I don't want to spoil Parasite for people who haven't seen it. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like that ending is much, uh, yeah, there's like a dream of a dream of something but, better that, mm-hmm, that yeah. is dashed basically. Yeah. 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 And so it's, it's, it's almost like I, and I feel like that's a theme I've seen in different things. So like in Snowpiercer, if it's, you know, let's blow up the system, even if it means there's nothing else and we all die. Like, mm-hmm. is it better to live in an unjust society or just to call it a day on, on society at all? <laughs> um, but, and, and that's a provocative question that, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily read, uh, yeah, Bong Joon-ho as, as a nihilist in that way. I don't know, thinking about something like some of the themes in Fight Club where it's like, um, they just want to burn everything down like kind of the anarchy of that it's maybe kind of getting at a similar thing or i think about uh have you seen a movie called cabin in the woods yes yeah the, the ending of that which again i don't want to spoil but there's a kind of an interesting character choice made that um sort of spells doom for some other people <laughs> basically it's you know if this is the system then screw the system and like we're better off without it maybe so i don't know it kind of that that just popped in my head as as possibly analogous to the the attitude from that quote from Mong Jun Ho, but that is interesting. Well, have we said all we need to say about Snowpiercer at this point? Uh I think so. I think we may have. Uh Snowpiercer, very interesting film, very creative film. Um Bong Jun Ho I, I do think is one of the the best directors we've got these days. Um uh, so I think anything that he's made is is worth a watch. Um so check out Snowpiercer. As we look ahead to the last two episodes of this season, we are moving on to a Japanese filmmaker, Hirokazu Koreeda, uh, looking at his film Shoplifters next, and then his newest film, The Truth. Um, I've seen Shoplifters before, and I really, really liked it, and I'm excited to to revisit it and discuss it here, um, and then to look at The Truth, which is his first English-language film as well as... Um, as Snowpiercer was for, for Bong Joon-ho. So looking forward to that for next time. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll get into that. You've seen Shoplifters before. I have seen Shoplifters. I've seen a couple of uh, others of his films. Uh, I'm excited to see the truth because I have not seen that yet. Yeah. Well, join us for that uh, next time. And until then we will call it a day. Thank you for, for being here, Omaya. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, if you want to support Arthouse Garage, you can leave us a rating or review on your podcast app. That really goes a long way into um, helping new people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at Arthouse Garage on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Letterboxd. We also sell t-shirts on uh, the website arthousegarage.com slash shop. Some cool movie-themed shirts there. And uh, you can sign up for our email newsletter, arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep it snob-free.